Welcome to the Cannabis Review, everybody. I'm delighted to join Michael Patterson on the show today. He's the CEO of US Cannabis, uh, one of the leading experts in the world in this field across a various sectors in the cannabis industry. How are you keeping, Michael? Hey, Owen, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Having a rainy little day in Ireland here. You look like you've uh, got a nice place to be. I've got some plants behind me. Those are our plants in Lesotho or Lesotho. Uh, we have a joint venture there in Africa. And so uh, they sent me some photos and I have the green screen. So I figured I'd put them right there behind me. Happy days, happy days. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the show. We'll get straight into the topics that we've discussed before the show. And I think it's great to have somebody of your expertise on to cover these three topics. So the first one is cannabis investment. It's something that I know a lot of young entrepreneurs who are looking to get into this industry are interested in knowing where it is, where is the main places to do it. Could you give an overview on how you see the cannabis investment world at the moment? The, the cannabis investment world right now is starting to take off since January 6th. And that was the day that um, the Democrats won the two Senate runoffs in Georgia, which caused the Senate to lean Democratic. And so if you're unfamiliar with U.S. politics, now the Democrats control Congress and we have a Democratic president. So there's a lot of interest around the world about investing in U.S. markets through Canada. Um, if you're unfamiliar, THC, uh, the stuff that gets you high is still illegal in the United States, but there's 35 states that are medical and there's 15 states that allow recreational. So what a lot of people are doing, they're starting to look at uh, investment in cannabis, uh, U.S.-based MSOs, which are called multi-state operators. And so those multi-state operators typically are on the uh, exchanges in Canada, primarily the Canadian Securities Exchange. So what we recommend people looking to invest in the markets, if you want a strong market, these cannabis uh, U.S.-based MSOs are good in the fact that they're in uh, usually over 10 to 12 states, most of them, and they have good cash flow. And as we all know, 90 percent, if you're not familiar, 90 percent of all legal sales are in the United States, even though it's illegal federally, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so. Um, those are the strongest markets that I tell people, if you want to buy stock, uh, cannabis stocks on the open market and then hold them and sell them, that's the best markets to, to be in. Uh, currently, there's a little bit of a backlash against companies like Aurora and Tilray and Canopy Growth, um, just because most of those companies are not in the United States uh, for THC products. They may say they're in for CBD products. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, CBD through hemp is legal. 100% of the United States, but the majority of the revenues in the United States are coming from THC products. So uh, also Tilray, Aurora and Canopy are still heavily ladled in debt um, because they've been burning cash now for multiple years. So we try to recommend to people right now, a good place to, to park your money if you like the markets is uh, in cannabis, uh, US-based MSOs. Okay, amazing. And I think yeah, it's one of the things that you can see kind of happening once you kind of get legal state or nationwide over in America, the acquisitions and the kind of dominant brands are going to come. Like from, from Europe, you can see Cookie seems to be one of the brands that's coming to the fore with the right capital behind them and the right acquisitions. They could be one of the, the dominant brands that come out of the US. I think you're dead right with the Canadian companies. I think their fully integrated model from the start was... Uh, was a bit of a mess and as the next topic that I think we're going to move smoothly on to it's about having a quality CEO 
in charge of the company that somebody who's in, interested in cannabis and even somebody who creates the cannabis company doesn't necessarily make them a top CEO. So the next topic is three qualities of a top CEO. How do you rank these? The number one thing I tell people to look for is you need to have a CEO who's actually run a company before. If you look at the previous CEOs that have come into the cannabis space, a lot of them had never run a company and they're mainly entrepreneurs or they run a company and they've had, you know, 15 employees. So you really want to know that because if you're going to park your money with a company with a CEO who's never run a company, how is that person going to operate when they're now having hundreds or, or maybe thousands of employees and their value is over one to two or three billion dollars? This is what we're learning in the cannabis space. And my background running, um, I used to be in the healthcare world. I ran nursing homes. I ran pharmacies. I run laboratories. So I'm very used to heavy litigious and regulated industries. Also, you want to find out where, where that CEO's background is if he has run an organization. If he ran a restaurant chain or ran consumer packaged goods companies, then that CEO is probably going to push their company more into a retail market. Um, and it just depends on what their uh, uh, what their business model is going to be, depending on how that CEO is going to be successful. Um, another thing uh, I tell people is they have to have good emotional intelligence. And if you're unfamiliar, emotional intelligence is not just having IQ. But one of the major problems in the cannabis industry or the major challenges, I should say, is you have to have a person who can interact and, and relate to people all over the world. And so cannabis is a very interesting um, career in the fact that everybody comes to cannabis from another place. So they have a different um, mindset. They may have a different um, um, uh, historical perspective. And so the key is you have to have a CEO who can, who can get a good base of knowledge for the entire company. And then everybody starts to move forward based off that, that, um, baseline of knowledge. And then the final thing is they need to have some sort of knowledge in the industry because what I've seen is people coming in and not understanding the market and then moving their company into a, a market where it's not going to be realistic. And a good example of that is a canopy growth. When they came out a couple of years ago on cannabis infused beverages, they said that the market was going to be 20% in Canada of cannabis-infused beverages for the recreational market. As of last year in 2020, the market was about 1.2%. So if people who don't understand the market, it doesn't matter if they work for a large corporation or a small corporation, you need to ask those tough questions and where is the market going to go and why? And if they don't understand that, then that's going to be a challenge to any investor. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the things in the industry is identifying your consumers and creating brands for those consumers as opposed to the other way around, what some of them are trying to do. And brands are going to win this whole war. I think if you've got a good CEO and a good brand, I think you'll be uh, in a much better position than somebody who's got eight different companies integrated towards the full model. So, yeah, I think they're great insights in terms of a top CEO. And again, running finance in a company, I think if you, you as when you own your own company, I started off in music and I can remember after about two years when it started to get really successful, I don't think I ever did it with music ever. It was managing finance, it was right. managing growth. So 
I think the cannabis industry needs to be aware of this, that even if the cannabis person who sets up the industry is a talented person, within a couple of years, it's still going to be run like any comprehensive and well-regulated business. And, and want something to add to that is um, also you want to make sure you you understand and the CEO uh, uh, CEO understands their business. You mentioned brands. Um, some companies want to have a brand and that's where they want to be in the retail market. Other companies mainly are focusing more on wholesale. Like for our company in, in uh, Africa, MGMC, uh, we want to focus on being able to provide uh, wholesale bulk product for brands all over the world so they can make all their products and we can have a sustained value chain. So, you know, our business model is not retail. Ours is more wholesale. So it, when you invest, you just need to make sure you understand the markets that your company is investing in because that will make you a better and more educated investor. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, the last topic I wanted to move along to was the US-Europe relationship. How do you see this at, at the moment? Do you see the, the huge influx of US companies moving into Europe once it becomes a fully legal market? Or is this a number, a number of years away from happening? The challenge right now is there's so much opportunity in America that a lot of American companies are not looking to go to Europe. Um, to give you an example, again, 90% of all legal sales are currently in the United States. And so in 2020, the estimate of total revenues or, or total volume of products sold was about 15 billion. Of course, those, those is just an estimate and the final will come out uh, soon. Um, but in 2019, the U.S. did about 13.6 billion. So the U.S. is going up about 30 percent in total sales every year. Uh, Europe, on the other hand, is, is going up, but a lot slower. So in 2019, they did about 250 million U.S. in total sales. In 2020, the estimates are somewhere around 475 million. And then we're projecting somewhere between 750 and potentially 800 million in U.S. dollars in 2021. So what we're finding is more companies from Canada are coming in. Um, our company is actually uh, getting ready to sign a deal in Austria as well as Italy. So we are coming in, but we're technically a company that's based out of Africa or the Seychelles. So I'm the only American on the team, which is extremely weird. <laughs> so I enjoy it, but it's just different because the, the, there's very few Americans in the cannabis space who understand international markets. So I'm learning that I'm somewhat of an anomaly because most companies in, in America are only focused on the domestic market. Uh, I feel this is going to be challenging as the U.S. looks to go legal federally, which people have asked me when that's going to happen. And I'm predicting it, it should happen before 2024. Um, we're encouraging the Biden administration to ease into full legalization by bringing in decriminalization first where people don't get arrested for having small amounts of cannabis at the federal level. Then let's bring in uh, the banks, let the banks use cannabis, oh, excuse me, let the banks uh, service the cannabis industry so we can bring in more investment. And then the final phase will be full legalization of what we recommend as medical cannabis. We want to keep recreational cannabis uh, as a state's choice or state's right. So that way we feel that's the best type of legislation that will actually pass. And then the final stage is what we want is a phase in process so the entire planet will understand what the U.S. is doing and it will give them time to shape their laws to be congruent with the American laws. Because number the, one of the number one things we're going to see is you're going to start to see when America goes legal, you're going to see everybody wanting to import from Europe and Africa and Latin America into America in the United States because when the U.S. goes legal, there's no amount of domestic production that can keep up with the demand. 
Currently in America, in recreational states, we're having 10% of the population use cannabis on a monthly basis. So in California, there is uh, 45 million people and approximately 4.5 million in using cannabis on a monthly basis. So if you multiply that across the United States, we're looking at somewhere between 35 and 40 million users on a monthly basis when we go recreationally legal or medically legal. And we're going to need help from our partners to bring in primarily raw materials, raw crude, bulk flour, to be able to keep our stores uh, packed with product because currently in markets where product is not available, we're seeing spikes in prices as high as $15 uh, US dollars per gram. And then states that have very good supply chains, you're talking about the same product somewhere around seven to $9 per gram. Okay, interesting. And a quick one on that then, how it, for an import license then, let's say for a California company who is already legal in that, in that uh, state, how difficult is it for them to acquire an import license to, let's say, import bulk flour from any territory anywhere in the world? Is that a difficult process and a costly process? Well, right now, it's the those permits do not exist because cannabis you cannot you're not allowed to put uh, to move THC uh, across state lines or federal lines, so they are not able to do that currently. However, if you want to import CBD or hemp flour, you could do that all day long as long as it can get through customs so as long as that comes in at less than or equal to 0.3 percent thc then you can import all day long we have customers who import uh flour as well as uh, cbd crude from from colombia they import it from europe they've been importing it from europe now for some for for over 10 years mainly with just cbd products so they can do that now eventually uh, when we go legal, we will probably have some with THC. I mean, we'll probably have some sort of import license uh, uh, permitting process. And then we'll probably also have what we call distribution licenses. So what we're projecting is we want to have a distribution license where we can import raw product and then we can distribute it across the United States because the United States is a big place. So we want to have that in Florida to where we can import from Europe, South America and Africa. And then we can move that product primarily on trucks. Um, and I'm thinking large scale product, um, for example, 50 gallon drums of THC oil, CBD crude down the road, um, potentially bulk flour that we can move across the U.S. to give to retail uh, sites because cannabis will eventually just be a commodity just like any other commodity. And so the more we can assimilate into the current structure of distribution of, of general products, the better I feel the cannabis um, industry can can grow as the regulation in, can, continues to increase. Yeah, no, I think that's been a, a hugely informative piece of information for everybody watching today. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I could literally stand to stay here for hours chatting, but we want to try and keep these as bite-sized and consumable as we possibly can. I hope I can definitely get you back on the show to talk about a number of myriad of topics. I'd love to come anytime. I love Ireland. Happy days. Well, we'll get your point to Guinness now when this is all over soon enough. So thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll be back again with another episode next week. Mm -hmm.